Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to 43. Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to 43, a title of the message, Hope for the Hopeless, but I'll come back to that title. Uh, and uh, as we typically do, let's read the whole scripture, this passage together, and I'll make a couple of comments, but we'll just read it through and let the word just get into us. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, in Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. It's about 10 miles away. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees, and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. You know, as you read these stories, I trust it'll bring to mind very similar miracles that Jesus did. And in John chapter 5, verse, uh, or through, the, through multiple verses in John chapter 5, there's the story of Jesus healing a man who was crippled for 38 years at the pool Bethesda. And he comes to the, that location. He sees this man. He says, do you want to, what do you want? Or what, do you want to be healed? And the man says, yes, I do want to be healed. And Jesus says to him, take up your bed or mat that he's lying on and walk. And heals him, right? And this is a very similar story. So in John chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 is where we read that. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Very similar to what Peter does here for Aeneas. And then in Mark chapter 5, we read the story of Jesus dealing with Jairus's daughter. And you know the story there that they had come to Jesus asking him to come and to heal or to pray for the daughter and then they send word saying uh, it's okay she's dead and he still goes and the people are weeping he puts them all out of the room prays and there in mark chapter 5 verse 41 it says he took her by the hand and said to her talita kumi which means little girl i say to you get up very similar to what peter does he sends the people out he prays and then he says, Tabitha, kumi. Tabitha, get up. And up she gets. 
You know, and Luke is intentional in doing these things because he's telling us that this early church, they weren't trying to do things that were their thing. They weren't trying to stand out. They were trying to do what Jesus did. They were saying, this is Jesus who's healing you. They were saying, this is Jesus continuing ministry. They weren't trying to say, look at how different I am. Don't go to that person, come to me, because see, this is my unique thing. No, they were saying, I'm just like Jesus, and I'm trying to do what Jesus did, and I'm following in Jesus' ways, and it's Jesus who's doing all these things. That's the message that is being emphasized, because of all the accounts, of all the miracles that would have happened at this time, Luke is drawing our attention to some of these things that are very similar, very similar to what Jesus had done. And he's saying, look, this is what's going on. These folks are just wanting to honor Jesus. When we do what we do, we're not trying to distinguish ourselves by our abilities, our eloquence, our programs, our building. No, no, come here. No, we want to say, look, we want to be like Jesus. We want to do what Jesus did. We want to say what Jesus said. We want to tell people about Jesus. And if they never ever connect with us, but they do connect with Jesus, oh, praise God. Praise God. That's what we want to see happen. Now, before I get to the main point this morning, I want to make a statement about the healing and miracle working ministry of Peter and the other apostles and so on. When the disciples in Joppa heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to bring him to Joppa as quickly as possible. Why? For the express reason of praying for Tabitha, who was already dead. They didn't send for him to say, well, she's, she's barely alive. She's in ICU, please come. No, they said, she's already dead. She, her body has been washed and put there. People are weeping, but come. You know why? Because the disciples in Joppa knew that Peter had a gift, a spiritual gift of miracles, a supernatural God-given ability to pray for incredible things to happen. They knew this. And so they went to get him with the clear expectation, with the hope, biblical hope, that he could pray for Tabitha to be raised from the dead. That's what they, that's what they were believing. So that's why they go to get him. I mean, you, you, you don't go 10 miles on foot to some place and convince somebody to come with you 10 miles back if you don't think that something will happen. So they, they are pretty sure. We know that Peter is nearby, and Peter has been gifted of the Lord to pray for and to see mighty miracles would happen. Let's go get him. And the point that I want to make to you is this. It is appropriate for us to go to those who have some specific gift that may apply in our time of need. So if you know that somebody has a prophetic gift or a healing gift or a other kind of miracle working gift, whatever it may be, it is appropriate to go to them and say, would you pray? Would you take this action? And we're not trying to manipulate. 
We don't try to force something. We don't say, let's just do this, even if it's not the will of God, no, no, nothing of that kind. I've, I've mentioned the story before that I was with a man of God one time. We were invited. I was driving him around, and I, we were invited to go pray for, or were asked to go and pray for this, this gentleman who was sick. And we went to that home, and I'm with him. I'm just in the background, just watching. And he got in there, and they had asked him to pray for this man's healing. And this, this man of God came in, and he prayed for him to be at peace. He prayed for him to pass well. He prayed for the comfort of the family. And then we left. And we're in the car, and I said to him, how come you didn't pray for his healing? He said, because the Lord has showed me that he's going to pass away. And so, and, and you know, quite soon after that, that gentleman passed away. But the point that I want to make to you is that we're not praying manipulative prayers. We're praying according to the will of God. We say, Lord God, let your will be done and let your word come to us and show us what it is that you want to do. But we do go to those that have these gifts and we say, pray, intervene, take an action. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, it says this. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 makes it clear that the purpose of these diverse gifts is so that different members of the body can exercise their specific gifts for the good of the whole body. This, so we're, we're receiving spiritual gifts, each person something different, so that together we're able to minister to one another and build up the whole body, right? It is for the mutual good. It is for the mutual edification. So it doesn't mean that one person's gift or one person's call is somehow better than another. It's just different. And in that difference of their gifting, we don't elevate one gift over another. Oh, this person, oh, they have the gift of praying for miracles. That's much more important than this gift of giving or gift of word of knowledge or gift of, of serving. No, no. Remember when we talked about the, the seven that were appointed by the apostles to minister, to wait at tables, we said there is no distinction. We're not saying, oh, if you have this spiritual gift, then you're a better, a better Christian a more spiritual Christian, a more powerful Christian. No, no, we're saying, look, that's the gifting that the Lord has given you. This is the gifting that the Lord has given this other person. Together, together as we serve each other, as we exercise these gifts, as we minister to the Lord, we build each other up. We build up the body of Christ. And the world around us looks at that and says, I want that. I want to be part of that. How do I get this? And we say, oh, the Lord is not a respecter of persons. He gifts as you call out to him. Come, come, receive. And again, our focus is not on the gifts. Our focus is not on what we are able to do. But what I want to emphasize is that we come to him and we say, Lord, you give me your gifts. 
It means that these stories and these examples and the point that I'm trying to make to you is that we should be eagerly desiring spiritual gifts because we should say, Lord God, you know, in my church, I see that this gift is there or that gift is there or this, but you know, I don't, I don't see so much of this gift. Lord, give me that gift. Pray, ask the Lord. That way we will have all the gifts in operation. That way we'll be able to help each other. That way we'll be able to minister to each other. So pray, ask the Lord for spiritual gifts right? and say, Lord God, you fill me. I don't just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want the specific gifts of the Holy Spirit that will be in operation in my life. And it may be that the Lord will give you some gifting for a season for, for you know, the, the gifts and the calling of God are without reproach, but, but there will be an emphasis and there will be a time where you have to use that gifting in particular. Great, wonderful, do it. Step out into that and let the Lord lead you and guide you. So just a quick aside there to say, you know, when we look at these stories and we say, why did they send for, for Peter? Well, it's so that we can do the same. We can go to places, we can call people, we do all that. Now, again, I, again, I'm not at all suggesting to you that you be a sort of, you run from one thing to another. No. We are part of a local church. We are built together one with another. We pray and we ask the Lord to build these giftings and capabilities and these ministries in our church. And we say, Lord, build us up. Do your work. Minister. Now, in this passage, there are two notable miracles. The healing of Aeneas, who had been paralyzed for eight years, and the raising of Tabitha from the dead. Both situations were hopeless in the natural, right? There was no medical care. It was not like, oh, they're on their road to recovery. Let's pray for a speedy recovery. You know, it's, they were hopeless. They had nothing. You know, one man is paralyzed, eight years, nothing helped. The other is dead, dead, not dying, dead, hopeless in the natural. Both situations needed a supernatural intervention. But the sequence of events that we're reading here and the way that Peter speaks and the actions that he takes and the effect that these miracles had on the people, they turned to the Lord, it says. All the people, they, they heard about this and they turned to the Lord. And then in the other portion, it says they all believed in the Lord. Right? The, these things make it clear that both these miracles were to glorify Jesus, were to bring glory and attention to Jesus. That was the purpose of these things. It was to draw our eyes, our gaze away from these circumstances and the hopeless situation and to say, oh, Jesus, he is able. He is the one I can look to. That's what was going on. So these miracles do that. But you see the hope that is defined here and the, the, the expectation that these people have here because it is of Jesus, we have to realize, we have to remember that Christian or biblical hope is defined in terms of Jesus. Because Jesus came into this world in fulfillment of prophecy, what we were celebrating even quite recently. Because he died to pay for our sins and redeem us to himself. Because he rose again and triumphed over death and the grave. Because he continues his ministry in the world today. Because he promised that he will return. We have an eager anticipation, expectation that this living Lord Jesus hears and answers our prayers in miraculous ways. 
When we understand that kind of hope, that kind of biblical hope, it's not wishful thinking. It's not, I hope it happens. I hope my team wins. I hope, no, it's not like that. It's, I know this is what the Lord will do. When we have faith, that is the assurance of things hoped for. That's why it's using that term there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's an assurance. It's a confidence. That hope that we have, when we think in those terms, when we understand in those ways, then every hopeless situation leads us to hope in God. You know, our first response, typically, typically our first response, when we face a difficult situation, is to see what we can do to fix it. What can I do? What can I do? How can I, how can I fix this? And if your particular personality and temperament is to jump in with fix-its, you know, somebody around you is probably saying, I, I don't need you to fix this. But that's our typical tendency, right? We want to fix it. And then we apply our ingenuity and our resources. We say, what do I have? What do I have? Oh, okay, I got what I need. I got the tools. I can fix this. And if we think that we're not really able to, we try to find somebody who can help. You got a truck? You got a saw? You got some money? You got something else? We try to find somebody and we say, okay, with that person's help now, I can fix it. We face the situations in our spirits, in our souls, in our bodies. It doesn't matter. But our first instinct most of the time is to say, what can I do? How can I fix this? And we are confident, we're hopeful, hopeful that something will work out. Right? Some, some, something will work out. But if the problem persists, and it persists for a very long time, weeks, a whole year, nine months, uh, if the problem persists eight years, 38 years, if the problem is showing up where death, I mean, if the problem persists, then we become absolutely certain that we cannot fix it. And we start to lose hope. Not biblical hope, hope as we were thinking of it. And we start to become despondent. And in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, it says, hope, hope of the world, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it starts to affect us mentally. It starts to affect us physically. The science is very clear. People who have lost hope, sometimes the body shuts down, that's, that's there, but many times people who have lost hope, it affects them physically that they even end up dying just because, not because their body was, was ready to die, but because their mind said, that's it, that's it, no more hope. And when we become despondent and we despair like that, oh, everything looks bleak. Everything looks difficult. We don't see a way out. We don't know how this can be turned around. We don't know how something good could come out of it. Here's the important truth that we have to realize. Where we end up 
hopeful in God, despondent, thinking that we can do it, confident that we cannot. Where we end up matters or is dependent on where we begin. What we hope for, will, what we hope will happen is based on who we put our hope in. If we put our hope in ourselves, we will be disappointed. Uh, mind you, there are plenty of things that people in the world achieve. And you can set certain goals and go after certain things and try to solve certain problems and you can say, I got it done. So I'm not saying that every single thing that you attempt will be a failure. But when it comes to those hopeless situations, if you started with yourself, if you started by looking at what you have in your hand, you will probably be very disappointed. But when we start with God, then we will not be disappointed. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance, perseverance, patience, waiting, through the endurance taught in the scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Paul goes on to explain in Romans chapter 15 what Jesus did to give us hope. Why we can be hopeful because of what Jesus did. And he's pointing out that hope originates in and is personified in Jesus. And then in verse 13, Romans 15, 13, Paul writes this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust, as you believe in him so that you may overflow, so that you may abound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, isn't that encouraging? The God of hope fills us, not with our thoughts, not with our hopes, with his power, with his thoughts. This is what we were praying about in the fasting prayer or the, you know, the prayer meeting just the other day in, from Proverbs, you know, that when we repent and come to the Lord, the Bible says he fills us with his thoughts. So when we come and we are despairing of some situation, we don't know what to do. We don't know how it'll turn out. We don't know how this will, this will, I, I don't, I don't know how any good can come out of this. Go to God because he pours out his thoughts and he's not thinking like that. He's not just sitting there and thinking, oh, this guy has messed up pretty badly. You know, he's not doing that. He's saying, I have a hope and a future for you. I have a plan for you. I know what, what is ahead of you. I'm going before you to lead you. And so we say, oh God, I want to start with you. I want to start with your hope. See, when we go to God first, it's not that there isn't any action we have to take. In fact, what this verse is and what other scriptures are telling us, we have to study and apply the word of God. We have to endure, we have to persevere, we have to be patient, maybe for years. 
We have to encourage ourselves and each other to not give up. And we have to seek out the people of God who can help. We have to. We are joined together in a community. We're not isolated. We're not meant to be you know, isolated. We're meant to be called into community and function in that. So we seek out, we do all this, we pray together, we go after all of this. But it is when we are in Christ, when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit that we can overflow with hope. When we, got, when we go to God first and rely on his word, his promises, his peace and his power, then we can eagerly expect, we can hope for the right resolution to the situation we're facing. The right resolution, not what we think, but what is the right resolution? What is it that God wants us to do here? And let me make one more point about this. It's not just the situations that we determine to be hopeless that we need to bring to God first. Oh, hopeless, she's dead, let's go to God. No, no, even the situations that you think that you're very hopeful about, you know, not just that you're hopeless, but you're hopeful. Oh, I know what to do. And I'm going to do this, and then it'll happen like this, and this will happen, right? This will be the outcome. Maybe, maybe that is what you need to do. Maybe that's good. But even those situations that seem very hopeful, where you're optimistic about it, the situations that you think you can handle, you have the resources, even those things, you need to bring them to God first. And we need to say, Lord God, we're asking you to be the Lord of all of our lives, all of our circumstances, all of these things, not just the hopeless things. Oh, I don't know how to handle this, Lord. Oh, God, please take it. No, no. Lord, I think I know how to handle this. Please take it. And we say, God, you come. You be the Lord of every part of my life. As we submit all the areas of our lives to him, as we ask him for discernment and wisdom, as we walk in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement, the power of the Holy Spirit, then God directs each one of our steps. We're coming into this, even in Proverbs, as we're going to be praying through the scripture. The Lord says, this is the way. Walk in it. We don't turn to the right or to the left. We're able to take steps that are firm. We're able to walk in the way that is set before us. Why? Because we've gone to him with everything. We've gone to him with all that is in us. You know, this message could have been titled Hope for the Hopeless and Hopeful because the hopelessness or the hopefulness that is centered on ourselves needs to be replaced with the hope that is centered in Christ Jesus. The hope that we have or the hopelessness that we have needs to be replaced with the God of hope pouring out his hope into us so that we say, oh God, I look to you. I look to you. I'm confident in you. When we put our hope in God, then all our situations, hopeless, hopeful, whatever it may be, all our situations are set right. All our situations are set right. All our relationships are set right. All our needs are set right. We seek first him, his kingdom, his righteousness. Oh, and then we say, oh God, I thank you. All these other things taken care of. What are you looking for for this new year? What are you anticipating? What have you been hoping for? Lose some weight? 
New Year's resolutions, most common one, right? This is it. This is it. This year, this is it. What else are you anticipating? Oh, changes happening in my children's lives, changes happening in my home. Oh, I'm going to redecorate. No, what, what is it that you've been thinking about, anticipating, planning for, hoping for? Oh, I don't know about this person. Maybe this year, maybe this year they'll, they'll finally call me. Maybe this year they'll come out of this addiction. Maybe this year they will get some help for their mental illness. Maybe there's something else that you are thinking about. Maybe there's something that you have been bringing to the Lord. But oh, at the beginning of this year, on the first Sunday of this, this year, I want to say to you, based on this word, respond by believing and hoping in the God of hope. Oh, nothing else. Not your plans. Not what you think. But you say, oh God, I'm going to believe in you. And this God who has promised in this, in this word to show you, to reveal to you, to help you to understand, to give you wisdom and understanding when you call out to him, he'll show you what you need to do. Then you can move with confidence. And there will be many things that you have to do in obedience, but go to God. Respond by saying, oh God, I believe, I believe, I believe that you can do this. And I'm hoping, I'm putting my trust in you. My eager anticipation, my expectation, my faith, oh, it's in you. That you will do your will. Praise in the name of Jesus. So that brings us to this point of application. And I want to spend a little time here this morning to say that we want to apply by bringing every hopeless situation to God in prayer. As I just said a few minutes ago, it's not just hopeless situations. It's also the things that we are hopeful for and think we can handle. We could have just said there, we bring every situation to God in prayer. But I want to challenge you this morning. And I want to, I want to ask you to do something through the rest of this year. I want you to list out every single thing that you can think of that seems hopeless. What is it that you are thinking? Oh, I, I just don't know. I just don't know how this will be. Maybe it's not even hopelessness. Maybe it's uncertainty. Maybe it's not even uncertainty that is severe. Maybe it's just a dull, small sort of, you know, in the back of your mind, you know, you don't think about it actively, but somewhere, somewhere, you know, sometime in the middle of the night, you wake up with that thought. I'm saying to you, list it. List it out. List it out. Write it down. And you say, oh God, at the beginning of this year, I'm bringing this to you. The salvation of a loved one. Somebody who needs to be healed. Somebody who needs to be delivered. Relationships that have been broken. Lord, in my family, and amongst my friends, amongst my colleagues. Lord, for provision. Lord, for protection, for growth for transformation, for change. Lord, I, I'm struggling with this area in my life and it seems hopeless. It seems like I just can't change. I can't do anything. Lord God, this year, I'm writing this down, I'm listing this. And I want to say to you, as a church, New Life Fellowship Church, ask the Lord 
for specific answers. Study the scriptures to see what the Bible is saying about each one of those needs and start going to him for wisdom, discernment. Go to get counsel as necessary, but ask the Lord for answers. Say, Lord God, I am going to stay in your presence. I'm going to keep interceding and I'm going to keep coming to you. I'm going to persist in prayer until I hear from you, until I have a breakthrough. Be filled with the Holy Spirit to have the power that you need to pray in this way, to stay in this way, to keep hoping in this way. And then as the Lord tells you what to do, make changes, obey, obey be quick, then make changes in your thinking, in your speech, in your conduct. I'm not even going through the details of what that looks like. If you're struggling with that, ask for help. We'll work through it together. We'll do the things that are necessary. But obey the Lord as he speaks to you to say, okay, Lord, let's, this is what you're telling me to do. This is what you're telling me to do. This is what you're telling me to do. And live up to what you've already attained. You don't have to get a whole bunch of new answers. Live up to what answers you've already gotten. Live up in those ways. Do those things. And then the Lord will reveal the next step. And the next step. And the next step. And he'll keep you moving forward. Keep praying. Keep persevering. Keep patient. Be patient. Pray without ceasing. During our 21 days of prayer and fasting, continue to pray. Come together in our prayer meetings on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays after the 21st. And in every other opportunity that we get, stand together in faith, in agreement. Pray for breakthroughs. And I want to tell you, I want to ask you, make a note of all the updates, of all the answers that you hear, of all the good things that the Lord is revealing to you. And that's why I'm saying, through the course of this year, I'm looking forward to hearing many more testimonies. I'm looking forward to hearing testimonies in January, in February, and March, and June, and August. Oh, and by the end of the year, we won't have enough time. We won't have enough time in our New Year's Eve service because everybody will have a testimony. And if, if what you put on your list doesn't seem to show up that way by the end of this year, 2021, don't worry. You just keep, you keep, you keep going. John shared in his testimony on New Year's Eve, he said many things have been answered. 2020, he saw many things answered in prayer. But he said many things, not yet, but he's keeping on going. He's keeping on going, keeping on trusting, keeping on believing in the Lord. As the worship team comes, we're going to get ready to participate in the Lord's Supper and our communion together. But you know, the, the word of God to us this morning gives us hope because of what Jesus did. Because of the fact that he came and he gave his life. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. His body was broken for us. So we have a wonderful opportunity this morning that as we participate in this Lord's Supper, we say, oh God, thank you that I can have hope. That I can have this divine hope. You, God of hope, gives me everything that is necessary. Guys, from the back, we're going to go to those slides for, the, for that song that we've got up here. But, and as we participate, as we get ready to participate in the Lord's Supper, Joel's going to lead us in a familiar hymn. As we sing this hymn, as we sing these words, as we sing, 
On Christ the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. It is because we first affirm that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, ours or somebody else's. We dare not trust the sweetest frame of anything else. We wholly lean, we wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Let's make this our point of declaration. Let's say to the Lord, Lord God, we put our hope in you. On Christ, the solid rock. Oh, Lord God, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Let that be our declaration this morning. Even as we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper. Even as we say, Lord God, you prepare my heart. I'll get to that in just a minute after we're singing here. But let's lift up our voices to the Lord and say, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand.